It was all about reading every day for at least one at least and, and the mind needs books like a sword needs a whetstone. Something that is fragile breaks. Something that is resilient or that is put under stress. It can endure. But anti-fragile is something that when it's put under a certain level of stress becomes even stronger. Welcome back to the Body Mind Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host Simland and today we have Christy Vlad as our guest. He's a blogger and an author from Romania who writes about human nutrition, physiology, stress adaptation, ketosis, intermittent fasting. You could adapt your body to like uh, taking cyanide or something. Don't try this at home. But without further ado, let's delve into the world of stress adaptation. Do you want to know what it is? Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Christy, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Mm, welcome. And you, in your website, you say that you have a master's degree in civil engineering, engineering, actually. So how did you end up from that field into writing about nutrition? Yeah, I guess uh, that's kind of different from what you'd expect. So um, I think everyone is, is interested in um, improving their health and their well-being. So uh, same was I. Um, it was like after graduating i become and i became interested in um like any other people i became interested in my in improving my health because uh this was around let's say 2010 mm -hmm. so i had a few pounds uh to lose um and i thought of what could i do in terms of nutrition and physical exercise uh, to reach that goal. So I started with like simple things, uh, reduce caloric in intake, exercise a little bit more. And I started getting on a, uh, like improvement track, which lasted a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So it didn't like, uh, roller coasted mm -hmm. in, I don't know, one or two months. It, it was a process that started in 2010 and uh, up until 2013 it was kind of a slow track so um, I lost weight I improved my sleep uh, my physical performance I was doing a lot of uh, running and jogging at, at that time and I was also uh, practicing swimming uh, and kickboxing so it was okay but in um, in 2013, I kind of decided to um, try something new. So um, I've learned from Tim Ferriss about uh, the ketogenic diet. And that's when um, I actually started experimenting with it after reading more about it on Peter Atias's blog. So mm. that was in uh, late so it was in the fall of 2013. You said that you're like very self-taught in these many different topics like genomics, machine learning, and rational thinking and human physiology. So uh, how did you manage to teach yourself all these topics? I mean, what are some of some maybe some key principles of self-education and learning? 
Well, that's uh, that's another discussion, I guess. So um, I began reading books. It was it was like during my uh, running, during my runs, I started. I first started listening to some audio books, mm. uh, and there were uh, personal development books, like self development books, uh, things like Brian Tracy mm. um, and that kind of stuff. So. Um, after listening to one or two books, I started reading more. Knowledge. Up until that time, I actually, I don't think I read like 10 books in my entire life until then. <laughs> so in 21 years, yeah. uh, maybe 10 is a um, decent underestimate. So yeah. uh, then I started reading and um, going into other topics rather than self-development. I started reading about nutrition a lot. I started reading about uh, uh, business. The more you learn, the more you earn. Yeah, it was all about it was all about reading every day for, I don't know, at least one hour. And the mind needs books like a sword needs a whetstone. And once you start doing that, say for a couple of days, for two weeks, and once you set time for uh, that practice, it becomes a habit after, rel I would say, after two weeks. Yeah, it's true. Like uh, it's, there are many examples of uh, similar people in history as well who have, you know, been this kind of a polymath where they they're simply so curious about the world and they want to and they intrinsically want to learn more. Like you know Leonardo da Vinci and uh, Pythagoras and those kinds of people, and uh, I also like to think that <clears throat> it's the as an individual, it's a very good position to be in in this very not so specialized, but you know you have at least some understanding of a wide variety of topics to maintain your you know balance. Yeah, it's kind of an eclectic knowledge. Yeah, uh, you're trying to gather from as many fields as possible and I think that at one point you start integrating concepts from one field into the other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're able to see you know interdisciplinarily and I also like to think that, that it's also like the most anti-fragile position to be in as well and I want to talk about anti-fragility a bit more because you also mention it oh, yeah. a lot in your own work as well so you know some people they might not know what anti-fragility is so can you maybe explain it in a few sentences? I learned about this from, obviously, from Nassim Taleb. So I guess uh, Anti-Fragile was not the first book I read by him. I think it was The Black Swan. Mm. Uh, and it presented a, a few very interesting concepts. Um, so I definitely recommend reading that to anyone who hasn't read it. So in Nassim Taleb's uh, words is, uh, so we know that something that is fragile breaks mm -hmm. and something that is resilient or that is put under stress it can endure mm -hmm. but anti-fragile is something that when it's put under a certain level of stress it becomes even stronger mm -hmm. yeah. that's kind of what I got from the anti-fragile uh, concept yeah it's like it's things things that gain from disorder is like the subtitle yeah. of the book as well. So that's right. Can you maybe like how does how does stress adaptation work into this? You know, what are the some sort of 
let's say, biological mechanisms or p pathways that are influencing this? Well, uh, there's a lot of theory in this, uh, uh, in this uh, trying to integrate the concept of anti-fragility into biology, but I don't know, I would say that uh, stress, it is, it, it is well-defined in uh, the biology and there, there have been quite a few researchers who, who actually uh, dedicated their entire lives to, to studying and to experimenting uh, with uh, stress and with stress adaptation. One of them was, um, I think it was Sally, um, S-E-L-Y-E. -E. Um, I think he was the father of uh, stress adaptation. He started doing uh, experiments in the late 40s. Mm -hmm. So let's try to apply it specifically onto something. Let's talk about cold thermogenesis, for example. Mm -hmm. Someone who has never been exposed to cold temperature or like to very cold temperature or to cold water, they jump straight into, into an ice bath mm -hmm. uh, for the first time. It is very likely that uh, they would at least get into shock mm -hmm. or if, if they jump uh, into an ice cold river and they might develop hypothermia. But if you start um, exposing yourself to cold temperature, to cold water gradually, mm -hmm. you build up sort of a tolerance over time. It's cold outside. Let's say you build up tolerance up to a certain time. You build up tolerance to cold in uh, three or four months. Mm -hmm. And then you, you reach a point where you could take a one hour long ice cold bath and you don't actually feel uh, like you felt the first time you ex you've exposed yourself to cold. And that's when you could resensitize yourself to cold by actually decreasing the dose or removing it completely for a certain period of time. Mm -hmm. Winter has come at last. It comes to show that uh, your, 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 the way you condition your body it's it's kind of a um, it it, it determines how well you're gonna deal with the physical stimuli or the physical stressors in in the world, and 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 I think like anti fragility in a sense is just a behavioral pattern or a behavioral trait that is built into the system. Like without without the ability for our human organism to adapt to stress, then we wouldn't be able to adapt to it either. But the stress adaptation is the ac actual process. Well, I guess, yeah, uh, so uh, adaptation is an underlying feature of life, I guess, mm. because um, if you expose yourself to certain stressors and you're able to deal with it, you're actually preparing yourself for the next dose of the same stress mm. uh, for, for basically a higher dose of the same stress. That's, that's how you build... Uh, you build tolerance for that certain stressor. Yeah, but it, but an example of this uh, cold thermogenesis, uh, how how does your body adapt to the let's say caloric expenditure of cold? For instance, it's it's very well known that you know shivering and uh, being exposed, taking ice baths is going to burn some more calories. But how does 
for instance, how does your body adapt to it after a while? Well, you don't feel like uh, so. My assumption, or my my assumption, and also my experimentation is that so the first few times you tried it, you kind of feel an increased heart rate. So the first time you tried taking let's say a five minute uh, cold bath, not ice cold, but just bath. Uh, that that's uh, you get that endorphin rush uh, and the release of noradrenaline into your system. But if you do it for a couple of times, the effect uh, seems to reduce unless unless you increase the amount uh, of time you expose yourself or unless you decrease the water temperature mm -hmm. if you want to keep having the same um, effect from it. Mm -hmm. But this doesn't mean that, um, so let's say for example we know that shivering thermogenesis is the one that increases caloric expenditure. Mm -hmm. Non-shivering thermogenesis, I don't know, maybe not as much, but Shivering thermogenesis seems to be the one that increases caloric expenditure, but I don't know. It it's an unpleasant feeling to be in shivering thermogenesis. You kind of feel like miserable, mm. but it seems to be beneficial. Mm -hmm. Beneficial, but very unpleasant. You crying because you're cold. Uh, for example, people from my life are actually very afraid of cold water, so they never, they never actually. Uh, cope with the idea of uh, even taking a moderate uh, temperature uh, shower, mm. moderate temperature um, water. That, that's, that's true, yeah, like we're, we're being so uh, cushioned in the sense that in our modern life that we don't experience, you know, the cold itself isn't objectively bad or cold, we just experience it in contrast to the habitual environment we're in most of the time, you know. Like, for instance, how, how, how could you imagine a hunter-gatherer living in, let's say, in Romania or in Estonia in, in uh, this time of the year where it's cold without having access to central heating or whatever, you know? They survived, but how the hell did they do it? It might just be the cold. It's mostly simply our psychological conditioning that is preventing us from, uh, you know, looking or adapting to the stress or be exposing ourselves voluntarily to it. So, so does it transition over to like psychological stress adaptation as well? Like the more better you become at handling physical stress, the more, you know, your mental toughness will increase as well. Well, yeah, that's how the theory goes. Uh, so I guess they actually, they are hand in hand. So the physiological and the psychological uh, adaptation kind of go hand in hand. I'm not really sure if you can have one without the other, mm. uh, especially if you're talking about, uh, I don't know, different types of stressors. The ability to deal with, for instance, if you're able to take an ice bath, then you're more likely to stay calm and uh, relaxed in, let's say, in public discussions or em emotional arguments with someone as well. You know, you're able to stay your cool and you, you, you won't lose your nerve, in a sense. You, do, you don't get anxious in, let's say, public situations. Okay, so one of my assumptions why this happens is uh, because 
once you expose yourself to variation in any kind of situation or once you expose your body to some sort of contrast or variation mm -hmm. so once you get yourself out of that uh, zero contrast life mm -hmm. so we talk about uh, cold thermogenesis mm -hmm. once you expose your so when you expose yourself to cold water uh, for a certain time your body reacts physiologically to it by releasing different hormones by titrating different levels of different chemicals inside your body mm -hmm. and I assume that is likely to uh, prepare yourself not only for the next dose of the same stressor but also for a um, dose of a different stressor and this is actually known as uh, cross cross discipline not disciplinary but like uh, cross adaptation hmm. so okay oh yeah it, it makes sense because you know physiologically all stressors are very similar in in the in the sense of what reaction they cause inside your body what are some you know maybe activities or habits you follow to stay anti-fragile and uh, be able to adapt to stress well I'm not really sure if we can put the anti-fragile uh, into this uh, context of uh, I don't know like trying to personify it but uh, I don't know I guess uh, everyone uh, benefits from a little contrast in their life so trying not to always uh, uh, run away from situations that make you uncomfortable mm. one of them is like variation in temperature mm. since it's winter time right now uh, most of us try to get away from uh, like the cold temperature outside and stay warm inside at the same temperature mm. every day and doing that your body is not your body doesn't experience uh, like new states mm. and actually you're not adapting your body to these different physiological states and that's likely not going to be a good thing on the long term so like for example you don't have to jump right into an ice-cold bath or ice-cold shower but try not uh, you could try not um, taking that hot shower but actually put it on a moderate temperature or you could actually spend if we're talking uh, about the concept of cold tolerance here so you could also spend more time outside you could also let's say not wear five jackets but mm -hmm. just I don't know a thinner one mm. um, we could also try to apply this into building muscle for example You've also mentioned like uh, your experiments with uh, exercise and nutrition, so let's talk about that. So Nassim Taleb goes very briefly into um, the anti-fragile concept and getting stronger. He says that lifting weights, and we know this from uh, the, uh, the research on like strength training. Mm. We know that strength training in a very simplified manner increases muscle mass mm -hmm. because once you uh, load your muscle with a certain weight 
and you try to um, exercise with that weight after your training session is over and after uh, so when you're weight training vigorously you break muscle fibers mm. when they repair they go stronger and they prepare you for a for the next uh, training session with supposedly higher weights mm -hmm. so it's basically the same concept in across disciplines mm -hmm. key component to this is that like uh, before you get stronger you get actually weaker and it's 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 paradoxical in a sense that uh, these periods of deprivation or uh, or you know periods of uh, increased stress will you know compensate for it afterwards so you also done some experiments with fasting and ketosis which are you know these states where your body is actually deprived from nutrition so can you talk about what have you experimented in there well you're actually going up only to a certain point because you, if you stress your body indefinitely yeah, it will eventually true. crash so you have to actually know when to stop so it's not like you could expose yourself uh, you could you could adapt your body to like uh, taking cyanide or something <laughs> don't try this at home uh, <laughs> but if you take the lead the lethal dose of cyanide you're actually gonna die so uh, you have to approach this uh, stress adaptation rationally and reasonably and uh, I don't know in, term, in terms of caloric restriction and fasting, probably the, the most convenient for most people is an intermittent fasting strategy like 16, 8, 18, mm. 6. Mm. And I'm not really sure if uh, more advanced strategies like 20 with 4 or even one meal a day uh, are easily applicable to a lot of people. Mm. I certainly experimented with uh, one meal a day and um, I couldn't I couldn't deal with it for a long period of time. It, it was it, for me practically it was really different. It was really difficult to to actually maintain weight. Mm. So I would have to eat like an enormous amount of food in a short time frame. And it, it, I struggled with uh, maintaining weight, so mm. I couldn't optimize that strategy well enough for me. Mm. I know you're, you've also been, uh, uh, you've also been experimenting with OMAD. What's your experience? Uh, well, in my experience, uh, it's it's not that difficult for me because, well, well, I, I kind of do it in a modified way. I'm not, I'm not strictly OMAD. Like um, it's it's almost like I consume my one meal a day. This one big big dinner is is actually consumed over the course of you know several hours, or maybe two to three hours or something like that. I'm not I'm not constantly eating. I'm just you know casually crisping away or casually just uh, consuming the food slowly. And of course, I, getting all those calories in immediately is going to be very difficult. And what I also do to maintain my muscle mass or to protect overall health is to consume some other other ketogenic foods that promote autophagy as well. Like uh, I have this kind of a bone broth thing 
with with some uh, anti-inflammatory spices like turmeric, ginger, cinnamon, and uh, other compounds like that. That that is going to actually you know promote ketosis, and they're going to be actually boosting autophagy as well to a certain degree. So it's 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 simply just a very convenient way of uh, structuring my daily dietary plan. So it's very like a modified OMAD. So you're actually limiting your feeding to only like two or three hours actually, where you're eating gradually over the course of those yeah. three or two to three hours. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 not like, it's not like I'm sitting down and I'm going to have dinner. It's more like I'm going to, you know, do some other stuff and occasionally have some, some food. And how much do you have to eat to, um, so are you having trouble maintaining weight? Um, or is it hard for you to consume your, all your maintenance calories in that time frame? No, it's not, it's not, it's not difficult, you know, you can, I, I, simply, I simply consume more calorically dense foods, like... Uh, That's easier, yeah. It's definitely a lot easier to do on a ketogenic diet than on some, some raw vegan diet where you would have to consume like five kilograms of vegetables to get your calories. That's right, right. yeah. So, that, yeah. That, so that's the key here, I think. What, what's your own personal nutrition strategy like or your da daily, daily meals? Well, I've, uh, over the past few years, I've experimented with different types of intermittent fasting with different diets. I've not, I've only, uh, I've, I haven't maintained, uh, I haven't been following a ketogenic diet uh, mm -hmm. like constantly since I discovered it in 2013. But recently, um, I bought a blood ketone meter and um, I've experimented with uh, constant ketosis since uh, the start of December. Mm -hmm. So I guess that that's what uh, buying that ketone meter actually uh, kind of. Uh, had me uh, stick to the diet. Mm. So currently, I'm I'm on a ketogenic diet. Mm -hmm. Okay. So are there any like uh, specific readings you're getting, or what 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 have you noticed in terms of your food intake and your ketone readings? Well, um, I would say that I am in nutritional ketosis if I consume less than 50 grams of total carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. But I would fluctuate between, let's say, 0.5 to 1 millimolars per liter. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've reduced my carbohydrate intake to about 30 to 35 total carbohydrates per day. And I'm actually um, seeing uh, blood ketone values uh, north of 1 millimolar. Mm -hmm. Uh, and if I use like MCT oil, I've actually done a, an experiment with uh, how MCT oil Im influences my blood ketones, which I posted on my YouTube channel. Uh, and if I use MCT oil, um, it increases the blood ketone levels. Have you tried any exogenous ketones or something? Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't so far. Okay. What I'm actually going to experiment with next is uh, caprylic acid or C8 oil, mm -hmm. which is um, a refined form of MCT oil because MCT oil contains uh, uh, fatty acids of uh, 6 to 12 carbons. So it contains uh, C6, C8, C10, 
And I'm not really sure if it contains C12. Mm -hmm. Probably only C6, C8, and C10. And uh, caprylic acid, oil, or C8 only contains um, C8, which is thought to be, which is considered to be the most ketogenic, mm -hmm. as it increases uh, the blood ketones uh, the most. Mm -hmm. So it actually, C8 goes to the liver and is easily broken down and uh, converted into ketone bodies. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like, how, how has it affected your, let's say, your physical as well as mental performance? Um, I couldn't give you an ob ob objective explanation, but subjectively, I kind of feel the effects of MCT oil. Um, I'm, I'm able to concentrate mm. for uh, more hours on a certain task. And as many other people report, it kind of gives you some sort of mental clarity. Actually, I take this like uh, in the fasted state. So I would say after a 14-hour fast, I would have like 15 milliliters of MCT oil and keep fasting. I, I don't know if I can say that I'm keep fasting. I'm going to keep fasting since I've already consumed some calories because 15 milliliters is like 100 or so of calories. But... I'm not going to eat uh, for, let's say, two or three more hours. And during that time, I'm able to do uh, mental work better than if I wouldn't. People don't actually know how to define what is a fasted state or what, what counts as being in, in a fit state as well. Like There are things like ketosis and autophagy that are, you know, very characteristic to fasting. But at the same time, you can induce ketosis through a ketogenic diet as well. And, uh, you know, some people say that even if you consume anything that has calories or even zero calorie stuff like coffee or tea, it's going to stimulate your liver's enzymes and you're going to get kicked out of a fasted state, which is, yeah, there, yeah, there are some people saying that, which is actually, you know, quite interesting to think about. There's no clear definition uh, and people seem to experiment with different stuff that are all over the place. So... It's how you perceive it personally, yes, I guess. It, it, it depends on like what do you define as being in a fasted state. Like I mentioned, like the two things that are very common are ketosis and autophagy, which I would argue that if, if those things are covered, then you know the main reason you would want to do intermittent fasting is because of the autophagy and ketosis aspect of it, to gain the self cellular detoxification and you know, the fat burning aspect of it. So if you can maintain those two things, then you're all good. Good. Well, probably the easiest way is like the over, if you extend uh, the period that you're not consuming anything, you start from your overnight fast, which is like at least eight hours. And prior to going to bed, you don't eat anything for, let's say, two or three hours. Mm -hmm. That's easily achievable for most people. Now you have 11 or 12 hours of fasting. And if you don't consume food as you wake up, so if you keep not eating for the next two or three hours, you're, you're at 14 to 16 hours fasted. And I don't think that's something that 
that's difficult to do for yeah. most people. The meatloaf! We want it now! What are some maybe... What would some be rapid so fire? <laughs> are you gonna ask some rapid fire questions? <laughs> uh, no, not uh, like maybe what would be like some practical advice for, for everyone who wants to improve their body and mind? Maybe one each. Probably, let's say, something that's, that I'd say is hard at first, but it's like uh, really easy afterwards, is to, if we talk about nutrition, and if we talk about nutrition in the context of weight loss, mm. so if someone doesn't see results in this uh, context, uh, the first thing that I would say is to know how much you're putting into your mouth. Mm. And that's, you, you can do that by actually tracking your food intake. Mm. So if I wouldn't achieve results uh, through intuitive eating, I would start actually uh, looking into how much I consume, how many calories I consume from what I put into my mouth. And yeah. you do that with like my fitness pal, chronometer and many others that you just plug in your food and it tells you like everything. But you have to be honest with that application yeah. and actually log everything that you put into your mouth. Yeah. So if you want to lose weight, you'd start from here mm -hmm. and your body adapts. So it's not like you'd reduce your caloric intake by 500 calories and you'd lose weight you lose the same weight every day because your body adapts. Yeah. Your your body adapts to weight loss the same way as it adapts to weight gains. So uh, you lose less. Mm. Anyway, start from tracking your calories. That's probably the best. Uh, it's 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 a good it's a good way to say it because you know like what's the key ingredient to making any progress or making any change in your life. It's know the numbers. Yeah, it's raising it's it's like raising awareness and raising consciousness about it, becoming more conscious about the things you do and uh, yeah, exactly how what you put into your mouth because yeah, most people they don't actually know what they're consuming and when they actually do log it then they're just, you know, amazed or baffled. I can't I can't believe. What I'm currently I'm doing actually like uh, having this kind of uh, twice a day workouts with not not intense workouts but let's say I'm doing uh, some fasted cardio in the morning around 12 a.m. or something like that then I continue my fast I have this some sort of this um, bone broth drink or with with turmeric and other spices and then I have my calisthenics workout like I haven't been able to you know build muscle or get increasingly stronger with it but it's I've done it just to see how my body responds to you know, longer periods of staying in a fasted state after a post-workout scenario, and I've seen that it doesn't have like a much, much. It doesn't have that big of a negative effect on my uh, strength. But do you really? I mean, uh, is one of your goals actually to build a lot of muscle? No, 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 no. I'm not doing. I'm not. I'm not focusing on like getting or gaining mass. Bigger. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just sim simply experimenting with. Uh, trying to increase, you know, mitochondria efficiency and uh, and uh, just just the functional fitness in a sense. I see. Uh, 
By the way, I saw you have the aura ring. Yeah. Uh, what's your take on it? I mean, are you expecting the the next one? Uh, yeah, like um, this is this is actually like a very very effective. It's been quite good for my sleep because you know once you've invested into it, you once you bought it and you actually use it, you actually look the numbers like we talked about. Then you can actually see you have a reason to you know you have a reason to want to improve your sleep as well. Like oh, I've already bought it, so why not? Why the hell don't I, don't I make some improvements? So it's it's like this self self uh, sabotaging or self fulfilling uh, <laughs> investment in a sense <laughs> that it's 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 quite yeah, good that it's not it's very accurate actually I I believe and the second the second version is gonna come out in April and it's gonna be even more accurate or let's say it's improved it's gonna track your actually like these periods of time during the day where you're in like this semi meditative state as well uh, well at least that's that's what they said yeah it was really interesting I'm looking forward to that device as well uh, and as you've said uh, buying these uh, devices that you can actually track your number makes you want to constantly improve 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 yeah that's true that's true like uh, it's it's it becomes like um yeah it becomes almost like a game <laughs> where can people learn more about uh, you and your work your future projects well simply go to my blog christyvlad.com and that's where you can go from there to my youtube channel and to my social media and all that stuff mm. okay well it was it's been a pleasure talking to you christy and uh, definitely would love to stay in touch with uh, your research and uh, future books as well. well thanks for coming to the show nice talking to you that's it if you want to support this podcast then make sure you leave us a review on itunes and other social media platforms and share it with a friend i also have my free body mind empowerment handbook that covers most of these principles that we discussed here i'll leave a link to the book in the show notes so check it out but other than that thanks for listening click the like subscribe notification bell as well my name is Steve. Stay, stay anti-fragile. Stay empowered.